It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, March 14th, 2018, and you're listening to God in Comics, your one-stop shopping for buying illegal vibranium online without the feds finding out. On today's show, we talk about Black Panther, that great king of the fictional land of Wakanda in Marvel Comics, who has now made the leap to the big screen. We'll talk about the importance of this film and this character as the first black superhero, as well as the implications for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And plus, as always, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Jonathan Michikin. I am assistant chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And also on the line is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm the rector of Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, good to see you guys as always. And we're going to go right into our recommendation. Uh, so since we're talking about the Black Panther today on, on our show, I, I figured I, I wanted to recommend something about another member of the Avengers, The Vision. The Vision has a solo series that came out, I guess, 2016. It's 12 issues long. It's a miniseries. And I, I just read it in the last couple days and was absolutely blown away by it. Uh, this is a phenomenal book. What drew me to it was the writer, Tom King. And Tom King, it, o- o- over the last year or so, has quickly become one of my favorite uh, comic book writers not only does he write the vision, he's currently writing Mr. Miracle, which is a great book. He's writing Batman. He wrote a book called The Sheriff of Babylon for Vertigo, which is excellent. Um, he was, uh, and he's got an interesting story. He was a CIA agent, and now he's, uh, he's no longer working as a CIA agent, but he's writing comic books. And uh, the vision might be uh, my favorite thing that I've read from him. Uh, the Vision, like I said, he was a member of the Avengers. He was a synthesoid he, or an android. He was created by uh, Ultron, the villain from the Avengers. He, he's long been a member. I mean, he there was a character called The Vision back in like the 40s. So he's one of the oldest uh, Marvel characters. But he's always been sort of a B-level kind of character. Um, and so here he is featured in his own series for the first time and and it's just such a unique book it's unlike any marvel comic i've ever read it feels like more similar to something from vertigo so he he does this unique thing with the character this isn't like a superhero like punch him up story this is about the vision he's become the uh, liaison for the Avengers in Washington, D.C. And he's moved into a D.C. suburb with a family that he has created himself. He's made for himself a wife who's uh, like him, a synthesoid, and two twin teenage children, Vin and Viv. And the comic book follows their story living in this suburb. It's really profound. It's it, 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 it's a story that's about like what it means to be human. It's a story about uh, being different. It's a story about uh, the compromises we make to belong in society, to be normal, to make a life for our family. 
it's it's heartbreaking. It, this is a tragic story, and the vision's tragic flaw is his need to be human, to belong, to be normal, and it's the it's the flaw that he shares with with his whole family. Th- this is definitely worth checking out. It's beautifully written. The artist is Gabriel Hernandez Walta, who's 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 does a phenomenal job. Everything about this book is just really well done, but mostly the writing is just spectacular, just jaw-droppingly spectacular. So check it out, The Vision. Uh, you could find it on, on Marvel Unlimited. Um, you could you could find it in graphic novel or trade paperback form. Uh, there's two trade paperbacks, but there's recently, I think, been uh, a hardcover that collects the whole 12-issue series that's available on Amazon or from your comic book, a local comic seller. Yeah, I've actually heard really good things about this. Uh, David Zoll was telling me that it was an excellent book. Um, Is that right? Long yeah. ago. And yeah. So something I'll have to check out. And now we will have a word from our sponsor. When last we left our hero, superb man was in the hospital from wounds suffered after saving a cat from a tree. Now that he's all patched up, Superb Man goes out on patrol in search of those who might need his help. Hey, kid, give me your lunch money. Please, no. This is all the money I have to buy oatmeal cream pies and chocolate milk so that I can grow up big and strong. I don't care. I need that lunch money so I can pay off my seminary debt. Hand it over now. Oh, fate, thou art cruel and unusual. Is there no one who can defend a small, helpless child like me from a big, hawking, moral, therapeutic deist brute like him? Fear not, young bearded child. It is I, Superb Man. Superb Man? What are you doing here? I'm here to save both of you from the foul stench of first world problems. You are? Yes, because using my superb powers, I have detected that neither one of you is aware of the true value of that lunch money. Instead of using it for snacks or debt relief, you could spend that money on one of the best magazines around, The Living Church. And even though it's a super high-quality magazine, it's so inexpensive that you can both subscribe. Why would a villain like me want to read The Living Church? Because everyone can find something worthwhile in The Living Church. Its beautiful, glossy pages are chocked full of news, commentary, and insights from some of the most interesting people working in ministry today. It covers the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion, but also covers ecumenical news and items of interest to a wide variety of thoughtful Christians across denominational lines. And if you're like me, it can give you superhuman powers, especially if you happen to read it while being sent to Earth from a planet with a red sun or while taking a quick dip in a vat of strange chemicals. But what about my lunch? I want my oatmeal cream pie. My dear child, don't you know that man cannot live on oatmeal cream pies alone, but must feed on every word that comes out in the book reviews, popular culture essays, or devotionals found in the pages of TLC? Don't waste another minute. Head over to www.livingchurch.org to subscribe today. 
And while you're there, you can check out the Covenant blog, where you'll find daily high-quality content for free. Well, that just sounds... Yeah, I mean, there's only one word for it, really. Superb! And now back to our program. <laughs> Did we sell it? <laughs> I Yes, I'm sure um, the subscriptions are going to spike after that. There's no doubt about it. All right. We're going to move now into our main conversation, which is about Black Panther tonight, the, the character and, and uh, especially the f- new film that's out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And joining us for this conversation is our guest, Father Esau McCulley is an Anglican priest and a professor at Northeastern Seminary and Wesleyan College in Rochester, New York. He holds a Ph.D. in New Testament from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, where he studied under N.T. Wright. He is also one of the organizers of the Call and Response Conference, an event examining the past, present, and future of black Christians in America. He recently wrote an article for Christianity Today entitled, What Black Panther Means for Christians?, which we'll link to on our show page. Father Esau, welcome to God and Comics. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, the next time someone introduces me, they will say, and he also appeared on God and Comics. That'll be like right in my bio. So thank you for having me. That's right. That'll be right at the top. <laughs> yeah, the most important the thing PhD. you've done. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Father, we, um, we often, when we have guests on for the first time, like to uh, find out just a little bit about if they have any kind of history with comics. So I'm just curious um, uh, if, if you do, if you have any background with comic books. Well, if you mean the comic book itself, then I read very little um, comics growing up. I did go through a phase, I think right around the time that Marvel started making movies, when I went back and read a lot of comics. But I grew up on uh, my favorite comic like cartoon as a kid was the X-Men, obviously. So I did watch Batman, but not as much. And so that was my, that was my experience as a kid. And then, of course, I... I'm a huge Marvel Comics fan. So I've seen every single movie that Marvel has done. Um, DC Comics is kind of catch as catch can. Some of them I've seen and some of them I haven't. So uh, I think I've read like a couple of the X-Men series in comic book form on an iPad. But I don't think I've ever actually owned a physical comic book in my life. Okay. Let's start with Father Matt. Do you want to say a word about just what you thought of the movie? Yeah, well, I, I thought the movie was awesome. I was super psyched about seeing a Black Panther movie as soon as I heard it was coming out because I've been a long-time fan. The Black Panther has been one of my favorite characters since I was uh, like a little boy, and I and I read him in, with Spider-Man and Marvel Team-Up. I just thought it was awesome that, you know... I mean, he looked, he looked like kind of like a Spider-Man and Batman mashup. He was the king of his own nation. I mean, he was just—he was just so cool. <laughs> so I—I I was pumped about seeing this movie, and it did not disappoint at all. It exceeded my wildest expectations as far as what they could do with this character. Just some of the things that I loved about it. I mean, the story, the characters, all of that was excellent, and, and I'm sure everybody will talk about that. But visually, I mean, this is one of the most visually impressive Marvel movies I think I've ever seen. It's up there with Doctor Strange in, in that department. I love the whole convergence of, like, 
you know, traditional African culture and like sci-fi, you know, I, I think I heard the term Afrofuturism thrown around, uh, you know, and that aspect of the film is just really cool. And definitely a tip of the hat to Panther's uh, co-creator, Jack Kirby, in a lot of the Wakandan technology and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm a huge Kirby nerd, and, and you know, that, that warmed my heart a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Uh, Father Kyle, what did you think? I would second a lot of what Father Matt just said. I, I thought it was a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a solid story. Uh, I thought it was very true to the comic books as I've encountered them. And I, I thought they portrayed the character well. They couldn't have asked for a better lead actor than um, than one they had. What's his name? Chadwick Boseman? Is that it? They couldn't have asked for a better lead actor than him, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the visuals were certainly out of this world. I think they really did a great job with portraying Wakanda. I walked out of the movie, and what I said to myself is, Marvel seems unstoppable. Marvel seems not to be able to fail. Uh, even when they're going down the line from main characters like Captain America and Spider-Man and so forth, they still seem to do a great job with some of these second-level characters. So, excellent movie. Father Esau, what did you think uh, overall of the film? Well, it's almost hard to judge Black Panther as a film. It sounds strange. I had to, the first time I saw it, I was actually more nervous because it was more of a cultural event than just a movie, right? It wasn't like, I want to go see Iron Man or I want to go see Spider-Man, because there was no wait, right? But I felt like that when Black Panther came out, there was stretch, there's such a strong desire in the black community to see our, see us portrayed positively on film. And so I was just really worried that there's no way that this movie can meet the needs of all of these people. It was just too much pressure. It was almost like I was afraid that what if it's bad, right? And so <laughs> the first the first time I saw it, it was just like, okay, this isn't bad. I mean, this is good. This is actually um, an enjoyable movie. So there was a deep breath that all of this emotional angst that had kind of come into the movie was kind of that it was those needs were met. The second time I saw it, I could just see it as a movie, right? This isn't like, you know, black, it's not black history. It's just a TV show or a movie. And so the second time when I was able to just watch it as a film and not feel like the pressure of coming to this event, I really was able to enjoy it. I love the characters. I thought that the interactions between the different Wakandans were some of the most human interactions of um, kind of the Marvel series. So the relationship between the brother and the sister, the relationship between Bozeman and Lupita, I'm using their like real names, their government names. So all of those, um, all of those interactions made the movie feel warm. I even said to myself, like, I'm not sure I needed a plot. I could have actually, a really good movie is when you enjoy hanging out with the characters. And I felt like I really enjoyed hanging out with the characters, even the villain. Right? I wouldn't wouldn't mind having another forty five minutes. I mean, obviously you can't do that in a film, right? But I would have had more time to fill out his story. And so yeah. it was one of those movies where, you know, you're in a good movie when you halfway through, you're worried about well, how much longer the kidneys go? I hope it's longer, right? I hope it's not almost over. And so it was to me a, a an important film, but secondarily an actual enjoyable Marvel movie um, and almost wrapped up sorry this might be too much almost wrapped up in a way that is rare for a Marvel movie it felt like a complete story such that if they do when they do make a sequel it's almost like it's going to be something totally different 
And so, like, figuring out, like, what they do on the other side of the Infinity War, I couldn't imagine it. Most of the other Marvel movies, I could kind of see where the, like, plot points are. But it's like, now he has this kingdom. He has these powers. He's the unchallenged ruler. What next? I didn't see a clear kind of um, open end to the story. The only open end that they could potentially have was that little tag, the first tag that came after the credits with that scene at the UN. So there's a potential there, but yeah, you're right. It did sort of feel like a complete movie otherwise, like very self-contained. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, you know, talking about your, your sense of it as an important film and so forth, because I didn't fully grasp that aspect of it until I went to see it. This is, this is my total uh, ridiculous white privilege moment. Okay. So (laughs) I, I, I show up for this movie on um i guess the saturday it came out and i went at 9:30 in the morning and the reason i did that is because i'm a misanthrope and don't want to be around people so <laughs> i thought i'd have a nice empty theater to go to every seat in the place was sold out and there might have been another white person there but uh i didn't see them um and it you know it was like this sort of reality check right like oh yeah this this will be and you know when i would talk to to friends of mine later about it you know who would say to me things like people were treating this thing the same way that you know when malcolm x came out in the 90s you know it was like let's pull the kids out of school and go see which is fascinating because because in my head i'm just registering fun silly superhero movie you know but if you've, you know, if that representation hasn't ever existed before, and particularly, I thought you, your article did a good job of of naming this too. Like, this is not a movie about oh, those poor people, you know, all those sad Africans with their plight. This yeah. is this is a movie that really uh, intensely celebrates particularly African culture, although it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a made up country. So it's kind of a made up culture to a certain extent, but it's pulling pieces from all of these different things and and celebrating achievement and, and uh, excellence and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. I would love to see like the timeline. I mean, so obviously when Black Panther was announced, I guess you say sometime at the infinity war, we'd have to figure out what year that was. I'm sorry. After um, civil war. And there was some excitement. There was like, yeah, there's going to be a black character. It's going to focus on black people. So there was a general. There was already some excitement over it. But I'm, I'm not going. I'm going to be honest. The election changed everything, and not just the election. The years leading up to the election, where like the description of African Americans in popular culture in around that time was so negative that it felt like. Black people needed to see, or we were longing to see, representation on screen. And so the Black Panther became, like, in the African-American community. It's almost interesting how unaware um, white people can be of the conversation happening within black community. Even when it's happening online, right? This is all, all over Twitter. Like, people, black people have been talking about right. Black Panther forever, following, like, release dates and trailers and all of these things. And so when the movie came out, it was like, here's a real chance to see us not suffering under the yoke of colonization, not being heroic and forgiving racism, not, you know, and not only that, it was a movie that was not just about black people, but like that it was almost, I mean, if you had the ears to hear, it was a real interior black conversation 
that happened in public. They really hadn't happened. The only other time it really happened was in the movie Get Out that actually came out earlier. Uh, I don't know if that was in 2017, but the uh, the kind of horror movie Get Out was similar in that it was like uh, focused. It was kind of an African American centric kind of portrayal of a particular issue played out in public. So yeah, but that even movie was kind of it was a horror movie. So it was even had a different context in this movie where the African um, culture was heroic and it was centered in a different kind of way. I really love this movie. I haven't had a chance to see it again, unfortunately, but. It's not Shakespeare, right? Like, it's a Marvel movie. It's going to do what a Marvel movie does. But I think, you know, they explored some new genre territory in it. They did things that were different than I've seen in in a number of other films. Um, It was very character-driven. I loved uh, some of the smaller parts in there. You know, Letitia Wright as as Shuri is, is... fantastic uh anytime she was on the screen it was it was it was great i would watch a whole movie of her just showing gadgets to people (laughs) that's what i was talking about there's so many um little little events on a on a side note i know i hate it when christians do this but um i was i went on her twitter i started following her on twitter and she has this little video Mm -hmm. she has this discussion where she goes through she talks about how she almost gave up acting Right, uh-huh. and then um, she like basically takes some time off to like refocus on God, and it was like one of those things where I was like, I know Christians are supposed to just celebrate when a believer does something good, but I was like, oh, I love you even more now because there's some Jesus like behind that 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 mm-hmm. that happy personality. So yeah, she she was one of my favorite characters. I hope they I hope that they actually give her good parts. Mm-hmm. She's one of those she's one of those like Hollywood people who just need good roles. So hopefully this goodwill can kind of build into something that's a little a sustainable career for her. Well, you know, in, in the comic book, I think it was, uh, I think it was Black Panther's sister, Suri, that becomes uh, the Black Panther. She takes on the mantle of the Black Panther at, at one point. I don't think I've ever read those, that, that, uh, that series, but um, if, if you Google, you can see there, there was a, a female Black Panther. I'm pretty sure, now, if I'm wrong, I'll get I'll get corrected, but I'm pretty sure it was her. And I, and I and I thought like, hey, that would be kind of cool. And and just in general, like the some of the roles for women are really I, I think great in this movie, you know, and and different than you get in a lot of popular culture and also in a lot of even comic booky type stuff, right? Like you had the warrior women who looked like warriors; they didn't look yeah. like hotties with spears you know or whatever like you know like they would often you'd often sort of see portrayed the love interest and the sort of back and forth there was interesting but not central it wasn't like this is the thing that defines this person is her relationship with this guy there was never a a, a scene where he's actually saving her or yeah. even protecting her in any kind of real way, because yeah. when he does, when he when he drops in in the first film, he's not rescuing her; he's pulling her out of undercover, mm-hmm. right? Right, which was interesting. And then when he goes on to Korea, they're, they're they go as partners, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is a real sense of, of female empowerment in the the women as as partners in this, and even like the love interest, it's like his inability to reconcile her own career. He wants her to kind of come and be his like queen in some kind of gilded cage, which she rejects, right? And so it was more of like, I have this passion to help the, the marginalized and the oppressed, and if you can't find a way to bring that into Wakanda, then I'm going to go and do that out. 
And so actually the relationship doesn't really come about at the end until he finds a way to, like, to, to bring her passions into their relationship. And so obviously it's once again, it's a Marvel movie, right? It's a Marvel movie. But as a model for what does a healthy relationship look like where there's some give and take, right? She does, if they, if it seems like they do end up together as they go into the movie, she does agree to kind of become a more of a part of kind of the, the standard um, life of the kingdom. But he also opens up so she can kind of explore herself. So there's a, a good eventual give and take towards the end of the film. There's a model for like how relationships might work, you know, where, where there's mutual recognition of each other's passions. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Martin Freeman is also in the movie for some inexplicable reason. Oh, he plays an important <laughs> role. <laughs> He's an important role. He is the like. Oh, how much can I say? He's like. He's the the inverse of the black character in most movies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what Absolutely. I was thinking too. He's the uh, talking white guy. I, yeah. I thought for sure he was going to die for that reason, but <laughs> but they even talked about how, um, like, when he he is someone who's content to follow the lead of these African or these black characters, mm-hmm. and so he, at least in the context of some of the the writing that's gone on around the movie, is that when he does try to step forward, they say, "No, no, no, you be quiet." <laughs> Even though it's done in a humorous way, right? Yeah. He's not the one who has the secret plan that's going to bring everything together. Or right. he, makes, he never even gets a chance to make the big speech, right? And so this idea that sometimes, like, can white people actually partner or participate with what black people are doing when they're not in control? And so his lack of agency in the film does send a message that it's actually, once again, it's important. Once again, on one level, it's a comic book, but on the other, or, or, or movie, on the other level, it does ask the question of, what does it look like to um, have strong black leadership? And can white guys who are used to being in charge of stuff, right? He's in the CIA or FBI. Can he take a back seat and, and let other people lead? So I think he. I think I'm glad that he's in it. I should have. Uh, I should have said this before. Just as a note, uh, we probably will get into some spoiler territory here. So uh, if you uh, want to have a completely pristine viewing of Black Panther without knowing anything about it, you should probably wait to listen to the podcast until after you have done that. And if you haven't seen Black Panther by now, what are you doing? Seriously. Um, I would go so far as to say you're a bad person. I didn't want to say that. I I almost said that you don't care about black people. I almost put a Kanye West. But I didn't. We tried to have Kanye on the show, but he didn't understand my message. He was booked. He was booked. I feel like if you if, if a Marvel movie's out for a month or two or three weeks, you haven't seen it, you ought to just sneak spoil it. Like spoil it anyway. Don't even yeah. tell him. Just... <laughs> uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. Um, first of all, and let me just let me just p- put this out there: the scene where they have the the throwback. Uh, where he remembers himself as a child walking into the house and there's a public enemy poster on the wall. And I did kind of squeal a little bit in my seat when I saw the public enemy poster on the wall. <laughs> That's just my my um, hip-hop nerddom. But, um, yeah, so Michael B. Jordan as as Killmonger, boy, they really don't hide anything when they name characters sometimes in these universes, do they? Um, 
but uh, uh, I'm sure you all have some things to say about this because he was a he was a very interesting uh, character, and I, I actually I feel like with this movie with um, and I guess with Spider-Man Homecoming, the last one, but no, no, there was the there was a Thor movie Thor, before this. Thor Ragnarok. But I, 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 I do feel like the, the villains in the MCU are getting better over time, in part because they are becoming more relatable and understandable. You, you're getting characters that you, you, you no, don't necessarily agree with what they're doing, but you get why they're doing it. And I think he is really a prime example of that. Um, that at least that's my opinion of it. But uh, what do you all think? Well, uh, well, I, I thought Killmonger. I was excited to hear that he was going to be the villain because uh, I always thought he was a, a really interesting villain from the the comics. Um, he appears in in, in Don McGregor's the uh, the Panthers Rage, and if you're if you're looking for some place to start, like with Black Panther comic books, check out the, the Panther's Rage. And um, you could probably, you, you could definitely find it in graphic novel form, but you could find it on Marvel Unlimited. I believe it's up there. But uh, the Killmonger, uh, I mean, and, and they get his character right and, and really perfect, really. But, um, but you know, he, he has all that, like, angst and complexity and, and, and he's is sympathetic in a lot of ways in the comic books as he is in, in, in the film as well. Um, and, and really was in that story advanced a lot of the, the you know, the themes and, and, and brought out a lot of the, you know, struggles in, in, in uh, T'Challa's own like kind of role of, of Wakanda, like how he would move forward and everything. Just a perfect villain and, and expertly acted and perfectly cast. I understand why, spoiler alert, right, that he had to die at the end. But even as they're fighting in the last scene, I'm hoping that they find a way to work it out. And I, it sounds like a crazy thing, right? But I'm thinking, like, I will be really sad if this is the only time I get to see Michael B. Jordan in a Marvel Universe. And that was that's what I was thinking as the movie's progressing. He was he has so much charisma. Um, like when, when he's just standing there, when you first when you first see him in the museum, and he's just looking at the artifacts, and he goes through starts educating the, the curator about what he's about about the different artifacts and what he's going to do. It was amazing, and the thing that I really liked about it that I think gave a lot of insight into his character in that first scene. So on the one hand, he he's taking this thing back that was taken from like you know, like you colonizers, right? I'm going to take back this Wakandan artifact. But then he also sees the mask, and he goes, "I just want that because it's dope." Right, and so <laughs> there was there was this there's this real sense in which he was also, and, and he, it's been criticized with this as kind of a negative portrayal of black culture, right? That that the African American is the killmonger, right? And so there's like affirmation of Africa, like you know, black people as thugs. But as far as capturing um, African American self confidence and swagger that you have to have when you live in a country that's oppressed you, I thought that that was he was just amazing. I loved it. I think that they played, they they had to paint him with broad brushes because it's a Marvel movie, right? But uh, so he had to do certain things to make him clearly evil, like when he shoots his girlfriend at the beginning, right? They have to do some things right. to kind of push him over the edge. Otherwise, he's he has a much stronger case that he's making. Right. Otherwise, you'd sympathize with him too much. Yeah. yeah. And so he has to do a couple of things that are just playing out, you know, good old fashioned Marvel evil to make it clear, clear to everybody that he has to lose. 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned his his death scene, which which is is so interesting, and uh, I wish I'd looked up the wording so I had it in front of me, but um, particularly the way that he the, the line that he has when he's brought up and, and shown the sunset and uh and uh, T'Challa says to him you know we could probably still save you and he says I, you know I, so what so that i can live in prison and then he says uh something to the effect of i, I you know better he said, to- bear, he, no he said he said um bear me in the ocean or in the water with my ancestors who knew that um death was better than bondage that's yeah, right that's sad. right yeah. which is um, and- powerful on a on a number of levels it's powerful precisely because he doesn't at the end go you know what my violent revolution was bad right Mm -hmm. he's given his last say uh and so he goes no 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 like this is like the black revolutionary tradition in some sense gets to have a final scene where it's not just dismissed as something that's ridiculous but it's seen as almost this defiant protest against oppression all the way to the end I didn't even catch that really the first time I saw it. I kind of heard it. Mm-hmm. But as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, okay, they've saved other characters who are near death. The sword's still in him. Maybe they can just take him back and fix him up. And you can have two Black Panthers in part two, right? Uh, right. But I think that that was actually a more appropriate end for him. That was me wanting to have my cake and eat it too. It pulls together the, the whole question that it seems to me was at the center of the story of this film which is the question of how do you respond to an oppressive world? There are basically three models that are presented, one of isolation, one of engagement, and one of uh, revolution. Um, And they're not necessarily all mutually exclusive, but they're kind of all presented as possibilities there. And so I was kind of looking at that, and and this is where the question came up for me. What is the, or is there, is there a Christian answer to that question of what is the best way to engage um, with an oppressive world um, out out of those three options? Uh, Or maybe is there a fourth option? Or, you know, like I was just kind of mulling that over in my head and I'm not sure I, I quite came to a resolution on it but I'd be curious to see what you guys think well I, I would say the one thing that strikes me right away with that is that I think isolationism is not a Christian response to the problems of the world of, of an oppressive world I think that has been attempted numerous times throughout the course of Christian history it's been attempted at times in the course of Jewish history um, we'll just remove ourselves out into the desert and not interact with the world. And I don't think that's in the least what God is calling us to do and be as his people. So well, I think we could there's a strong push for that now, though, isn't there? I mean, I mean, there is there's, with you the know, obviously there's extreme examples like the Amish or something like that. But there's right. also kind of the Benedict option, which right. isn't necessarily well, meant to be specifically isolationism, but it has a certain yeah. amount of we need to pull back from the world. Yeah. Well, I would say that, like, the Wakandan situation is unique. It's similar to, like, the white person's kind of options in America, right? So you have the agency to decide, do I want to engage? Do I want to withdraw? Or do I want to kind of engage in violent revolution? The Wakandans can make those decisions because they have these resources. Mm-hmm. Historically, the African-American church is almost forced into this isolationism, right? So it wasn't really an option, right? And the other thing is that, well, and this is, you can read Martin Luther King's 
one of the amazing things to do, if you go back and read MLK, you see him over and over and over again arguing against violent revolution, A, because it's immoral, but B, because it's impractical. He also he says all of the time, we'll never win. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, he says it. I mean, he because he, he's not arguing with Christians. So he can't present, like Jesus said, forgive. He has to make this argument. And so I think that one part of the privilege of the Wakandan situation is that they get to choose those three options. And it's similar to when you think about what is the church going to do? Well, that assumes that you have a church that has the resources and the cultural capital to decide to engage the world. Because the engagement of the world during the civil rights movement was at the cost of African-American blood. And so if you want to ask me like what the model is, I think the model is almost the fourth way modeled by Jesus, right? And then picked up and, and incarnated by the civil rights movement, where you have a deep acknowledgement of the underlying concerns that leads to revolutionism. Like, you got to understand, like, people have to put on, kind of put on display, this is a problem. But then you have to have a solution that doesn't simply model or mirror the oppression that you're trying to avoid. Hmm. Um, and the only way I think you can do that is that if you have a way in which all of our grievances are done away with on the cross, right? You have to have some kind of real reconciliation. And I think I forgive you and you forgive me isn't going to get us there. But I think that our mutual forgiveness by God does plant, like, chart a path through, like, all of the different things that divide us. Otherwise, I think that it's like the fire next time or it's like the apocalypse or whatever you want to describe it. Because I just don't think that there's another way for our society as a whole. Well, I don't know if it's, the society is going to be converted. I think that's the only properly Christian response. That's at least how I would read it. Good point. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's uh, interesting, uh, Father, Doctor, Reverend Esau. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget the sir. Put <laughs> some respect on it. <laughs> In your uh, in, in in your article, your wonderful article that you wrote for uh, Christianity Today, oh, thank you. The, the Black Panther. There is this kind of uh, first century, you know, analogy in Jesus's uh, time. You know, between um, you know, you have on one hand the uh, the Essenes kind of withdrawing yep. into the uh, you know let let's let's build our own thing out here in the wilderness. Um, yeah. And then you have the zealots, which is like, let's, let's take it to Rome. And then what's Jesus's kind of position in all of that? Well, it's, it's neither withdrawal or violent revolution, but it's, no. it's, it's the cross, really. I mean, it's, yeah, suffering, it's suffering love. And, and the other thing, which because you have a Christianity Today limit, you can actually map that out further. Because you also have the Sadducees, who are basically cultural capitulators, right? You make peace with oppression, and you get whatever kind of secondary benefits you can for the sake of kind of selling out your people. And then you have the Pharisees, who actually, in this context, are actually the, something of the good guys, right? Find some way to maintain Jewish culture while we wait for the, for the intervention of God. Um, and so there are all of these different ways in which you can see even in Jesus's day, and there were nuances within that, right? These are broad movements. And so Jesus does, and this is the part that I think is hard for us to recognize. Jesus comes to a, a, a potentially cynical culture and have had people sell them on the solutions to the problems facing the world in a myriad of ways. And he posits, he manages to do something new, which is to kind of, to, to, to chart a path towards both spiritual and cultural renewal that is 
both a rejection of oppression, but also an invitation for the oppressor to come and be changed. And so all of the stuff that's going on in the cross, I mean, obviously you have the bedrock Christian, you know, doctrine of the atonement and all of those other things, but the, 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 the community that is created in and around the cross and what the potential that has for being the vehicle of reconciliation is just, I think it's underappreciated in Protestant theology or at least in evangelical Anglican Orthodox Protestant theology. Um, I think the Catholics sometimes do a better job at that. <laughs> you guys missed the thumbs up that, that he's yeah. talking yeah, to. That's right. I, I, I gave Jonathan a little love. A I'm, little just, like, I'm just in the corner quietly <laughs> celebrating. This is a very interesting conversation, and there, there's a lot more we could say, and I, I, I hate to, to wrap it up so soon, but, but we will have to wrap it up here in, in a moment. But I do just want to throw one more sort of provocative question out there before we go, and that question is this. Wakanda is a made-up nation in Africa created by two white dudes named Stanley and Jack Kirby. How is this not cultural appropriation it begins in the in, in like what 66 right and, mm-hmm. and and there wasn't a lot uh there was there was no african-american superheroes you right. know and so this is uh, you know two jewish guys stanley and jack kirby they did something very progressive which was to introduce uh african-american characters into their books and to give them like powerful roles T'Challa is the king of his nation, and it's not like some backwards Africa. It's the most advanced civilization in the world. In Spider-Man, Peter Parker's boss was a black guy, you know, Robbie Robinson, you know, and he wasn't, you know, the nice guy that lived, you know, down the street from M.A. He was Peter Parker's boss. So, you know, this was, this was a progressive move. And over time, they did hand the Black Panther How about over to black the mo- writers. The most recent one. The other thing I would say is like I think you misunderstanding the word of appropriation. Mm-hmm. Appropriation is when a white person adopts elements of African American culture for the sake of like it within their own life. So if you got dreadlocks and started, you know, you know th- that's appropriation, right? But like it is possible for a white person to depict African Americans as long as it's not fetishizing. So if he, you know. Hot, there, there's, there are certain white depictions of African Americans that are problematic, but in the same way that a black person can write a movie about white people, in theory, a white person with sensitivity can write a movie about black people. So I don't know, because I can't speak to how the comics portray Black Panther, but it seems like our brother here um, is a strong advocate on apologist. But I would say that the, 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 the script that we saw in the movie was actually was clearly written and directed by um, an African American with sensitivity to the culture. But yeah. I, I'm not I'm not one of those people. I think that there are things unique about the black experience that you can't get from the outside. We're not a closed book, right? Uh, I think that's sub biblical to think that it's impossible for. Um, people to have any understanding and so i think i can have some understanding of what it's like partially to be white and i think in certain with sensitivity and willingness to learn people can start to appreciate elements of black culture so like when i first see a movie read a book my first question isn't always who's the author but does the author show sensitivity to black culture An, an example of that is the wire like black people love the wire it's probably the most um, one of the most celebrated movies, and it's. I think it's the, I think the author 
is um, the, the writer and director and is also Jewish, right? Um, but he, he kind of gets what um, is happening sometimes in, in the elements of black culture. So it really depends on the disposition of the author, not necessarily the color of his skin. We'd be dishonest if we, if we said there wasn't any kind of fetishizing in, in the early... I, mean, yeah, I, I would assume that. I would assume that. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's is, clearly there. And they didn't know anything about African culture. I mean, this wasn't a, this wasn't as sophisticated as what we see in the movie. Um, I mean, and then the Black Panther's first title was called Jungle Action, you know? Uh, <laughs> and and the, the first page of every Black Panther comic book, he was, like, fighting like a like an alligator or something, you know, yeah. I mean, which was cool, you know? I mean, it was it was part of a, a whole genre of, of jungle action characters. But here's the thing. Most of those other jungle action characters were, like, Kazaa, you know, who was, like, this, like, Norwegian, like, long, blonde-haired guy swinging around in the jungle for some reason, you know? And T'Challa was actually someone who was a believable you know, inhabitant of that world, you know, as, as, as uh, you know, an African king. It was a step forward, but, you know, if you treat the early stories by today's standards, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not quite, they're, they're not quite there. They're not quite there. Yeah, they're, they're, there's a little yeah. bit like that you go, yeah, not sure about that, guys, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and to be clear, I wasn't necessary. I was asking the question just to, to get the conversation to happen. I wasn't necessarily saying that, would, it, that it absolutely is appropriation. I just, I just think it, no. it's an interesting thing to uh, to well, bring up and explore. There is there was a discussion. Do you know the scene in the um, the casino where what's the guy's name? Stanley, who, who takes the money? Who has the cop cameo? Stanley, 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 yeah. 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 So, like he's the creator of the Black Panther. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm saying is, like, some people have seen some cultural commentary in that, like, Chad Bozeman wins like all of this stuff, that he goes away, and Stanley <laughs> takes all of the money. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. There, there was like some people have seen this whole idea that uh, ultimately, I mean, Marvel is a white media company. So yes, all of these black people are celebrating and we want to see the movie. But like it's Marvel that's gonna kinda of, like, <laughs> right, eat right. all of it. Right. Um, and and Disney which I, owns Marvel. Yeah, and, and Disney's owns yeah. Marvel. And so we're not stupid, right? I mean, but one of the things one of the things is happening when you are in kind of when you have to deal when you have to work within a system where you don't have power, you take the wins where you can get them. But even there are elements in the film where it shows that it kind of there's some awareness of kind of the wider set, the wider place in which this is set. And I've seen stuff online that that, that quick little scene could be a, a bit of a commentary on it. There's so much that we could say about Black Panther. I hope that many of you all have seen it. If you haven't already seen it, we've just spoiled it for you. Uh, but you should <laughs> you should go see it anyway. <laughs> Don't give them false info. Um, it turns out that Darth Vader is T'Challa's father. Who knew? Who knew? Oh, yeah. But if you have some ideas that you'd like to share with us, please do. Tell us what you think of Black Panther and tell us through social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We are at God and Comics on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. But for now, we're going to move on to our final segment, This and Every Time Out, This or That. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? 
Father Matt, this or that, Kendrick Lamar, or Hedy Lamar? Kendrick Lamar, I'd say. I, I, the, the, we didn't mention the soundtrack to the uh, the Black Panther, but it's definitely worth checking out. And, and uh, Kendrick Lamar is uh, prominently featured on that. All right. Uh, so, uh, Father Esau, so I don't know uh, how deep your 80s hip-hop knowledge goes, okay. but we're about to find out. Uh, okay. Public Enemy or Boogie Down Productions? Wow. Uh, public Enemy. More more cultural relevance. Boogie Down had better rappers. Interesting. Okay. So I, I'm going to go with Public Enemy. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. I would go back and forth on that because I, I love me some Ferris like, one. It, but... It's funny. Like symbolically, it's Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. It's actual musicality. I actually like um, Ferris one. Yeah. So I'm going to switch over for the culture. The culture wants me to say Public Enemy, but I think it's Boogie Down Productions. So can I switch? Yeah, you can do yes, that. Can I say this and that? It's this and room. that. You know, we make so up I'm the going, rules all the time. I'm going, so. I'm, going, I'm going with Boogie Down Productions. That's, no, that's good. I'll give you 400 points for that. That's good. That's a good answer. <laughs> that's a good answer. Uh, Father Kyle, Killmonger, or Killgrave? I'm probably going to say Killmonger, and I'm going to base this completely on the film versions of both rather than the comic book versions, but I'm going to go with Killmonger over Killgrave, only because I think Killmonger had more complexity to him than Killgrave did in a certain sense and uh, didn't skeeve me out as much as Killgrave did. Okay, I got one. I got one. We're doing this or that. I'm doing it. Uh, Jessica Jones or Daredevil on Netflix? Yes. The answer is yes. I say Daredevil over Jessica Jones. But that's because I like Daredevil uh, as a character. Daredevil is one of my favorites. I would say if I was just the characters, I would say Daredevil. But no, I said the Marvel. The shows, the shows, I'd probably go Jessica Jones on on Netflix. On Netflix. Well, I'll have to see the second season of Jessica Jones. I mean, no, no, no. no. Well, hold on. It's called this or that. It's not called this, that, or the second season. But they, <laughs> so I, I think I, I'd, Take go with, I'd go with Daredevil. Uh, just, okay. just a little bit because okay. well, he's got more to go on. Uh, he's had two seasons. Well, you all, you all are wrong. It's Jessica Jones. So continue on with your with your Good. game. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of things happen on this show. I do believe this is the first time a guest has taken over the this or that in the middle of doing it for the first time. That's pretty impressive. Um, well, you were gone. I had to pick up the mic for you. You dropped the mic. I picked it up. I got right. it. Matter of <laughs> fact, after we're done here, you need to get off so I can do the intro and the outro. Don't worry about it. I got this. <laughs> this, is called, this, this is now Esau in comics, buddy. <laughs> I like how you displaced God rather than yeah. comics. That's good. It wasn't God in That's good. Oh, um, my goodness. Okay. Father Matt, Dr. Pepper... Or an hour of exercise? Uh, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> well, it depends what kind of exercise. I mean, if it's a leisurely stroll on a spring day through you know, a nice wooded area in the shade, I'd, I, 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 I'd go with the hour of an exercise. But I'd probably drink a nice cold Dr. Pepper afterwards. But, okay. but that's, not, that's not exercise. That's, that's a leisurely <laughs> stroll through the woods. Yeah, exactly. 
I don't know. You I have an audio book is the biggest <laughs> question. I'm not sure you understand how the game works. It's called this or that. <laughs> so there's like one option, then there's the alternative. You get to choose one. It's doing it. It's the This is the second time you've not chosen this or that. I'm, I'm not telling you how to run your show. But I'm saying don't give me rules and then you just break them. Okay? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, yes, Reverend Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I have to I'm tell you guys, I'm glad I'm asking the questions this time and not answering them because I would honestly be afraid that I would get it wrong and Esau would correct me. Um, okay. Yeah, and you have a tendency to answer a third option. So it's true. Really it's true. It. I do. Okay, uh, Father Esau, this one is for you. Galatians or Romans? Romans. Um, I was telling people that like Galatians was like, I spent three years with Galatians and I felt like we had a, a great relationship and I was the guy who was making the argument that Galatians was a little bit better. And then I finished my dissertation and I read Romans again. And I was like, oh, this is why everybody likes you better. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this awkward relation, this awkward conversation I had to have with Galatians. Like, it's not me. Oh, it's not you. It's me. Like, we just weren't made for one another. <laughs> Romans is over there. Paul's a lot calmer. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> There's that great Romans 8. You know, Galatians 4 is nice. We got Romans 8 here. What do you want me to do? And so Galatians was a little bit upset, but eventually it understood. You know, it, it, it had been left many times for Romans. And so it's Romans for me. Father Kyle, I do believe this is the first time we've ever done poetry for this or that. So uh, I hope you're prepared. <laughs> you might completely stymie me. This is perhaps out of my wheelhouse. Your options are The Revolution Will Not Be Televised by Gil Scott Heron or Howl by Allen Ginsberg. So I know of both. I can't say that I've actually heard both enough to, act, to remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I'm yet you go. must still choose between them. That is the I'm going to go with the revolution will not be televised. Okay. Just because. That's Just because I want to go with, I go with we, we Wear the Mask by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Okay. That was not one it's of the options. But okay. That, okay? <laughs> I'm adjusting to how y'all play the game. I just Okay, uh, uh, Father Kyle, you get uh, 27 and a half points. Uh, Father Esau loses 50 of his points, um, but gains for some reason a dolphin. I don't know why. That's just, that's just what happened. That's what's in my heart. Father Matt, yours is Vampirella or a 57 Chevy? Um, you know, I've never read a Vampirella comic. Really? Okay. Yeah, um, and the 57 Chevy is a pretty awesome car, so I'm going to have to go with that. Father Esau. Yes? The Black Panther Party or the Rent is Too Damn High Party? I got to go with the Black Panther Party because in case there's black people who are listening, I got to let them know for the culture. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Father Kyle, food or sleep? Sleep. Can't sleep hungry, man. I have. <laughs> <laughs> Father Kyle has food that you don't know about. That's right. Have you ever been so tired that you fall asleep while you're eating? Like, you just like... No, that has never happened. I am amazed no. that somebody... I'm, I'm engaged in the eating process when I eat. I'm like, all in. When I'm eating, I'm eating. 
there's no time for this, like, you know. Okay. Well, that's it's I, never happened to me either. <laughs> that's, yeah. um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we 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 queue to uh, Father Jonathan face down in a bowl of Lucky Charms. Yes, <laughs> that's an accurate picture because that's probably what I'm eating like ninety percent of the time at night. So, <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. Um, okay, final uh, one for uh, Father Matt: corn or total and absolute power over everything. I'm gonna have to go with corn because. <laughs> Uh, and I, I do, that seems like way too much pressure. I, I cannot be trusted with that kind of power. I, I'm, I'm, I'm too aware of my own sinful propensities to be trusted with absolute and total power over everything. So, and, but corn is, is delicious. It's so, true. corn. <laughs> Congratulations on following the rules this time. You did. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to well, give you... I've been the submission. Uh, I'm going to give you 300,000 points for that answer. Uh, and that, I, was I, winning. I was winning until then. I, I, believe, <laughs> I believe that eat makes it, you the I'm winner. Not gonna eat it, okay? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? I'm not telling you how to run your podcast. Uh-huh. But in the, his, in the history, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. In the history of God and comics, has a black person ever won this or that? Uh no no no. So why don't you why don't you think that through the next time you add up your points? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying I was winning. I was winning. And then at the last point, you gave your buddy three hundred thousand points. <laughs> someone yeah. someone might be tempted to read something into that. I'm not saying it. <laughs> I'm just leaving it in there. You pray about that. Uh. <laughs> I think yeah. Father Esau wins because he's corrected everything that's wrong with us. <laughs> Wait, is this not normally how people treat you on your podcast? Have I been a disruptive force? I apologize. I'm going to create small audio clips of this that I'm just going to spring at random on people. Okay. <laughs> that's not how you play the game. <laughs> just see what they do. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'll come back anytime the Black Panther comes out. So okay, <laughs> but, um, Black is, Panther two comes, it might be back. Is, is there anything you want to plug, uh, Father Esau? Yes, come to my conference or not my conference. Come to our conference. Call and response. If you go to callandresponseconference.com, um, there's a place for you to register. It's going to be in Rochester, um, and it is not just for Black people. It's for Black people and people who care about Black people, which should be everybody. Um, but it's a rare opportunity for especially Caucasian clergy who oftentimes when they hear from African Americans it's when they're in the position of power so if you want to be like our, our um, what's that guy's name who went to Wakanda oh uh, uh, Martin Freeman uh, I forget what the character's name want to be, if you want to be like Martin Freeman come to Wakanda also known as the call and response conference we really do hope that churches and individuals come and come to my seminary because we need more students and we have online stuff, so you can find out about that at um, www.nes.edu. And if you like me, give me money so that I can buy things for my kids. I don't know how you can get the money to me, <laughs> but if you could, we can set up a PayPal or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. If, if you want to, li- we'll create say, a link I, to your GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah, I would say email me, but I feel like I'll get a bunch of like scams. So, mm-hmm. if, anyways. I'll take just random money too. Yeah, you got to be careful of those Wakandan scams. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 
If there are any like Wakandan princes who need a place to park their million dollars. you want to give to somebody that's who i want to talk to okay all right well uh we're very thankful to have had you on the program and and we look forward to having you on again and you can sit there uncomfortably for just a few seconds while we uh uh, while we do our conclusion uh well that's that's going to be our uh our show for today be sure to check out our show page on godandcomics.com where you can listen to the show again and check out links to some of the rad stuff we talked about on today's program God and Comics is subscribable through iTunes, and while you're on iTunes, please consider giving us a rating and a review. It only takes a moment of your time, but it absolutely makes a difference in helping other people find the show. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who spent many years as the king of a small, fictional nation before retiring in order to spend more time with his family and his creepy collection of porcelain dolls. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see ya. And I'm Esau Macaulay. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I get to say goodbye? Well, because... I'm not a real real member of the cast. I, I take it. I, I, I'll own that. I'll own that. Um, okay. uh, Esau, um, y- you need your own podcast because I would totally listen to that. <laughs>